So, uh, yeah, thanks, Rich, um, for the double introduction. Um, we had eight people come to visit us at Christmas, and they bore three gifts for me. This is my family. They bore me a cold, a cough, and I think a sinus infection. So <laughs> my voice has been pretty um, dodgy all week, and I thought, when is the most inappropriate time to text Dan on Saturday and ruin his day and say, you know, can you prepare a sermon the day before? And I thought, if I can just say some words, then I can hold out. <laughs> and so, so um, yeah, it's also not been that helpful uh, parenting for young children, you know, with, a, with a less of a voice. You have less authority to, with some energetic disputes to get in. It's like, stop doing that! He doesn't really mean it. Let's carry on. Come on, let's go on. <laughs> it's kind of, so that's been fun. Um, so uh, a few weeks ago, um, I thought I knew what I was going to preach on, and then God uh, told me to change it, and it's a wonderful thing when that happens, and you can see why. Um, and so many of the contributions we've had already have really linked in to exactly what we're going to be speaking about this morning. So uh, that's a wonderful thing, to know that God is already at work, that he's speaking, his presence is with us, and he wants to speak to us afresh today. So I'm going to read... Um, a passage from Jeremiah 17, um, verses 5 to 8. I'm going to read it in the ESV, if that can come up. If it can't, then don't worry. It's not too different to the NIV, which many of you would have. Let's hear what God says. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you that you equip us with it. As Paul says to Timothy, Lord, you equip us with your word. You help us to grow up and mature in your word as your children. We thank you that you've given it to us as such a gift, and we pray this morning, Lord, you would come and speak, continue to speak to us as you've been already this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit. Come now um, and dwell amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. So this, um, Jeremiah is a book that is the second longest book in the Bible, one of the Old Testament prophets. Um, and one of the reasons it is one of the second longest books in the Bible is there's significant amounts of, of, um, of, of rhetorical, prophetic words which are, which are given to Israel over time and over to the nations surrounding Israel. It's a really significant book in the history of Israel. It, it's culminating up to what God has been saying to them all along. It's quite a powerful book, a quite, quite a significant book. But this part that we've read this morning is just a kind of different kind of passage that you'd normally get in Jeremiah. It's almost more like from the book of Proverbs or something. It's a bit of like, almost like a bit of wisdom literature put in at this point. Jeremiah is giving us this contrast of these two trees, these true plants, which shows you something about what God has been saying to Israel the whole time, something about 
what it means to trust God or what it means to trust in your flesh, what it means to trust in yourself, in man, in the world, or you can trust in God. This is effectively the refrain that we've had all the way through the Old Testament up to this point. As Jeremiah says in, in earlier in the book, you've forsaken me, the one who gives you the streams of living water, and you've gone for broken cisterns, toilet water, things that can't even give you any strength, can't even give you any sustenance, can't even nourish you in any way. You're choosing this over everything I've given you. So we see this, again, this contrast. Everything that you could have, you've got lushness, you've got, you've got these roots going down by the stream, or you can choose to be the shrub in the desert, in the wastelands, the bush that wilts away in the drought. This is the message that Israel has had continually over and over and over again. The wilderness here in the passage evoking that sense of the, the, the collective memory almost of Israel. They know what it was like. They're now in the promised land. They had that time in the wilderness, circling around, meandering around and again and again and again. Not knowing quite when they're going to get into the promised land where they're supposed to be going. Because continually they're not trusting in God. They're not believing the promises of God. They're not doing what God actually wanted them to do. They haven't got a heart that goes after him. So the wilderness, that just immediately clicked in their mind. Yes, we don't want to go back there. We don't want to be a shrub in the desert. We don't want to be a bush in the wastelands. We want to be living by the living water of God. And this is the point at which this book, in, this book of Jeremiah is leading up to God saying, look, you've had so many warnings. You've had so many exhortations. So many prophets have come to speak to you. Jeremiah is one, one of many who come to speak and who gets rejected. He probably gets rejected more than most of the prophets. They don't want to hear this message. Actually, it's this clear. This is how clear it is. You've had it the whole time. And Jeremiah constantly, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's peaceful. Why don't, you, why don't you speak some peace to us, Jeremiah? Why do you keep telling us bad stuff is going to happen? Why do you keep saying that things are going to be difficult if we don't, if we don't do what you're saying or don't do what God is saying? That's the message that we're getting here at this point. Babylon is coming to Israel. And on all of their wonderful dreams of wanting a king, as we happened earlier in, earlier in the history of Israel, one, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, there was this passage where Israel asks for a king because they don't want God to lead them anymore in this weird, uncertain way with the judges and stuff happening in the books, uh, one of the early books in the, in the Old Testament. And so they ask God for a king because they want to look at the nations around them who have a strong, mighty king. A king to go and lead them out into battle. A king to fight for them. A king that looks like a figurehead rather than this weird, uncertain Yahweh God who comes occasionally with clouds and pillars of fire and really awesome miracles, but it's so uncertain sometimes they feel because they have to trust in him. They have to trust in him when they don't see things happening straight away. So that's what we're getting here from Jeremiah. We're getting this sense of this culmination of a long, long story, which really is the story of humans forever, the story of the whole Bible, whether or not we're going to trust in this God who's proven who he is, who said who he is, but constantly we're drawn to trust in our flesh, constantly drawn to trust in our humanity rather than trusting in his power. We're never, ever going to get over that. You've probably heard sermons on that. You're never going to get over that tension as long as you're in your body as a human being, as long as you have flesh. You're never going to have complete victory over wanting to fight away that battle. It's always going to keep coming at you. The temptation to trust in the flesh 
over trusting in God. This is what Israel had. This is why Babylon is coming. God is using this great king of Babylon to take them. So here's the king. You had your king. You had what you thought you wanted. You looked at all the nations around you and said, yeah, I think we could go for one of those kings. It looks kind of really certain and secure all the time, and we always know what's going to happen. Or we look to our idols. We've got an idol that we can make out of wood. We can chop it in half. Half the piece of wood we can cook our dinner with. Half the piece of wood we can make into an idol and worship it. That's the kind of stuff the prophets are talking about over and over again. Mocking it. Kind of ridiculous. Ridiculous situation. So Jeremiah is saying here, there's a, there's a fruitlessness that comes. There's a fruitlessness to rootlessness. When we, when we de-root ourselves, when we, we decide that we can do it on our own, when we say, actually, I think what these guys are doing over here is far more exciting than what we've been told, than what God has given us, than what God has called us to be as a people. That's so much more exciting. Let's have a king. Let's see how that works out. And we see in the end what happens to Israel. And they, 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 God, of course, preserves them. Of course, he um, preserves a remnant. Of course, he has promises for them. I'm going to prosper you. I've got plans not to harm you. You're still my people. But he, they go through this terrible time of an exile, which is a complete result of their resisting God continually, resisting his word, resisting the things that his prophets are coming to bring him, to bring them. And this is something that we see all the way through. We see these amazing you know, agricultural analogies all the way through Scripture. I've, we live in the countryside now, out in the Peak District, but I'm really a city person um, my whole life. And it has been interesting living there the last couple of years and seeing, seeing some of these analogies come to life in a new way. Um, we see this with the tree and the fruit. I'm going to read from um, the famous passage in Luke chapter 6. Jesus speaking, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So you can be a kind of tree. What tree do you want to be? What tree do you want to be in your life? Jeremiah is saying, what would you like to be when you look at your life, when you think about your life, when you think about the future? Do you want to be the tree that bears good fruit, that bears the kind of fruit that isn't just kind of stuck on? You can tell the difference with a tree that hasn't got the rootedness, because it's almost like the fruit is in a display case. It's almost like, here's the fruit. I've learned how to do it. I've learned how to look good. I've learned how to play church. I've learned how to you know, impress people. I've learned how to put on a good face. I've learned how to be all that I need to be in order to get by. And there's a difference to the kind of fruit which is alive and continually producing. The kind of fruit which is there even in a difficult time where the roots are deep and you're not failing to bear fruit. You're actually blessing those around you. You're actually able to keep producing because it's not like a tremendous effort for you to produce this this pallet of fruit or punnet of strawberries, whatever it is. You're actually continually producing. It's there. You can actually pick fruit because you know that there's more fruit going to come next time. It's not like the kind of massive effort just to produce a few apples. It's, it's like an ongoing process because the roots are rooted. Molly was, uh, my wife Molly was telling me something really fascinating the other day about oak trees. Um, many of you husbands will say sometimes your wife is reading a book and telling you stuff and you don't always listen straight away. 
But if you're preaching a sermon with a tree and she talks about trees, immediately you're right in there. So it was very interesting. So I'm going to read you a quote from this book. Um, well, apparently, by the way, oak trees, English oak trees, are like famous around the world. Did you know this? Those of you who are kind of depressed about Brexit, nothing to be proud for, oak trees, apparently. People are coveting our oak trees. They are awesome. They might not covet anything else, but <laughs> oak trees. So if you go abroad, you know, these flimsy pines, they are nothing, you know, palm trees, nothing to do. No, oak tree, I want an oak tree. They last for years, hundreds and hundreds of years, these oak trees. Here's the quote from the book. Amazing to think of the kind of life that one oak tree sustains. This is from a book called The Wilding. Spreading horizontal limbs in all directions to make the most of the sun, an open-grown English oak has six times the leaf cover of woodland trees. It supports more life forms than any other native tree, including over 300 species and subspecies of lichens. I don't know what lichens are either and a staggering number of invertebrate species, providing food for birds, including tree creepers, nut hatches, pied flycatchers, great and lesser spotted woodpeckers, who knew there was a hierarchy amongst, you know, spotted woodpeckers, by the way, but okay, and several species of other birds, which nest in the trees' holes and crevices or in the spreading branches. Bats roost in old, old woodpecker holes under loose bark and in the tiniest of cracks. It's acorns, millions over a lifetime, feed badgers and deer in the run-up to winter, as well as jays, rooks, wood pigeons, pheasants, ducks, squirrels and mice, which in turn attract birds of prey such as owls, kestrels, buzzards and sparrow hawks, which also nest in oaks. The soft leaves, 700,000 produced by a mature oak every year, break down easily in autumn, forming a rich leaf mould on the ground habitat for scores of fungi, including many colourful milk caps, brittle gills and truffles. So if you're, you know, again, a city person naturally like me, you will naturally think of galaxy truffles, but apparently truffles in the countryside mean something else. Um, but you think about that. You think about how amazing that picture sounds of this tree, one tree, which the, long, the older it is, the longer its roots go down, the more effect it can have on the, on the culture around it. It actually is not just bearing fruit for itself. You are the bad tree. I'm just going to be a good tree over here on my own. Actually, a good tree is good for those around them. You can be good trees for those around you. You can be good trees for your neighbours. You can be good trees for the city that you live in, or town, or village, wherever you are. You can be a good tree that bears all of this amazing, almost this economic um, prosperity, not necessarily financially, but in, almost there's an economy here. There's stuff that links together. There's things that you are doing when you're deeper, deeper into God that you have a positive, wonderful impact on those around you. But it also enables you, like we heard in that crazy description of the tree, you can bear burdens. You can bear things. There can be things that come. You, God is growing your capacity as you dig, dig, dig deeper into him, into that stream. Your roots are going down, down, down. You can actually bear more things. You look at some of, some of the stories we've heard already, some people in incredibly difficult circumstances. We're in the midst of one ourselves at the moment. Our house is being sold. We don't have a clue where we're going to live after like February or something. And it, you don't know what, where, where things are going, but sometimes God is growing in you a capacity to continue serving or continue being outward looking which some of we have heard today, some of the people coming here, struggling with so many difficult things and yet able still to give out. God, God wants you to be those kind of trees because your roots 
are deep. I can remember as a young first-year undergraduate student where I was in, in Chester, I think I was 19, and there was a couple who came to the front almost every other week and was being prayed for, an update coming, because they'd had two twin boys with severe cerebral palsy. And these two boys had been given maximum two years to live. And it totally just ruptured their whole life. Just their first children that they'd had. They had all this equipment all the time. They had, they had so many things around their life that made it difficult to live normal life. And yet you, you'd see them coming forward and giving testimony, praying, talking about people they'd evangelized to. You think, how the heck do you have time to do that? I'm a 19-year-old undergraduate struggling to get up before noon. And you're like, you get two hours sleep a night, and you're going back and forth to the hospital. And at the end of it, you kind of know there's a darkness, potentially, at the end of the tunnel if they're going to die. It seems awful. They're still alive to this day, which is amazing, praise God, and many prayers have done that. But it's those situations where you see a capacity that God can grow through hard times and drought, if, if we're willing to send our roots down, if we're willing not to choose the path of whatever, whatever the world is offering us. The deeper your roots go, the more of a blessing you can be to those around you. Actually, it's also a blessing. You think people who aren't Christians looking at your life, you want them to ask you that question, don't you, in 1 Peter 3.15? Any of you know what that question is? I think I can hear Dave mouthing it. I'll pretend that you know it even if you don't. Yeah. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope to which you've been called. We use that in, often people use that in apologetics, this kind of discipline of defending the Christian faith rationally against arguments. So an atheist, Richard Dawkins, or someone comes along and says, Christianity is rubbish, for these reasons are. I'm going to open my briefcase of apologetics, throw my boomerang, and out it comes. I've got my arguments ready. This is my answer ready. Actually, yeah, I mean, that certainly can be used. I quite enjoy having a boomerang fight with an atheist every now and then. And it's important that you know why you believe what you believe, and you should be able to give a response and argue for that. But primarily, Peter's actually talking about people looking at your life and saying, how the heck do you guys do that? How do you keep living like that? Where does your joy come from? Where does your peace come from? How are you able to keep going? Where, where is the hope in your life? Why do you live for this hope? What's that about? So sometimes we're actually not, we, we want to be asked that question. We want to be living in such a way, with such fruit from our life, from God, from by great God's grace, from the roots of the stream continues to nourish us, that people are going to ask you that question, where's your hope coming from? Why do you live the way you do? Because sometimes the worry is that it can be obvious in the world's eyes. Well, of course you're happy. Of course you're joyful. You've got a great career. You've got a brilliant family. You've sorted yourself out. You don't ever seem to do anything wrong. You always make good decisions because you're a good leader. You always do things right. You, and you know, you've, you've, you've kind of made a prosperous pathway for yourself. Maybe unlike Blessan and uh, Blessan's story, you've got... You didn't have a struggle to get your house. Maybe you just were able to buy a house straight away because you have a great job and God's blessed you with that. And so we don't want to take that away, take away those amazing blessings. But there's time. Actually, you want someone to look at your life and say, it's not just, not, it's not just obvious why you would have a hope, why you're happy, why you've got peace in your life. It's not kind of just obvious. There's something else going on. I want to ask you the question, and we have an answer ready. It's Jesus. We've, we have eternal security 
in God. We have our roots, our, our roots deep in the stream because we know where, they, where that stream's coming from and we know where it's leading. We have ultimate, ultimate hope, ultimate joy, ultimate peace in what Jesus has given us. So we want to be asked that question. Sometimes, actually, you can think, well, I'm doing well. God's blessing me because everything's going perfectly. Right now. So clearly that must be always God's blessing, which obviously absolutely can happen. But you don't need God to have a great career, just so you know. You don't need God to have financial prosperity. You don't need God to have loads of these things that you can have in the world. In many ways, actually, God can hinder the things that you would have in your worldly path. In your, 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 you, could have a work, you could have a better career if you kind of cast God aside. That's why people end up going for kings. That's why people end up wanting to separate from this stream, because sometimes the stream will hold you back from stuff. Sometimes God will say, no, I don't want you to do that. Don't take that opportunity. I know it looks great. Jonah, I know the ship to Tarshish looks awesome. I know you've got the ticket, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's from me. God will actually annoy you. And many of you have those testimonies. How many times have God thwarted things where you thought you had the best answer? You thought, I've got this, God. I've got this. I'm rooted in all these other ways, but let me just pull this one out. I've got this. I think I'll work it out. I'll tell you later how it's going to work. And you can see the fruit of those kind of decisions we can make sometimes. There was, I, I was reminded recently, I went to a, a festival in the summer, and Martin Smith, the uh, Christian singer from Delirious, was there. Has there. Who's still heard of Delirious? Have we got? Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. We have some Christians in the room, and some who are yet to be fully sanctified. Um, <laughs> the Delirious is also this Christian rock band who are really famous um, back in the day, 90s kind of thing. And he was, he was singing on the stage with his daughter, and it reminded me of this review of one of Delirious's albums that came out, because they had a mix. They were releasing albums into the mainstream as well as Christian. And one of their albums got reviewed by Q magazine, kind of significant music magazine. You want to listen to what they say. And the review, quite surprisingly, got three stars out of five, which is pretty good, I think, for a Christian band to get. And, and the line that the reviewer ended the review with was... It's kind of a shame that he kind of made all these comparisons. They're a bit like, they're almost as good, they're kind of as good as you 2 They're a really, really impressive band. But he said, um, as they must surely reflect in darker moments, without God, they could be massive. <laughs> what amazing irony that is. Without God, you guys could be so, you could go so far. You could be massive. You're actually as good as any of these bands who are doing this. Who have kind of got all the money and all the fame and everything they want? They've got, the, they've got a five star review. I'll give you a five star if you put God out of the way, please. Too much Jesus in there. The world doesn't want to hear that, do they? And actually, you just think, we can get into that mindset, oh, I could go so far. And they're thinking, but God's saying, no, how much further can I take you? Israel, how much further can I take you if you follow me? How much further? Have you not seen what I've done? I've, I've fed you with manna from heaven, I've brought water out of the rock continually providing for you again and again and again will you not want to come with me this is the living God Yahweh calling us again and again to follow him and yet we have this temptation no actually I'd like to go and do this I'd like to go and do further myself in some way it's such a strong such a strong urge to kind of want to almost drift away sometimes Actually, this isn't just, you know, us. We can talk about this. We can say, well, this would never happen to me. I would never have this full temptation. But I don't know if some of you have seen this happen. It, it rarely happens dramatically. 
You don't become a bush in the wastelands just instantly, right? I'm rooting up this giant oak tree, which is really flourishing. I'm going to carry it over to the wasteland, the salt land where no one lives. I'm going to stick it down there and see how it gets on. It rarely happens like that. It's a subtle thing. It's a gradual thing. It can just chip away. I can remember seeing a couple at a church where we were at once. You would never possibly think anything troubling could happen. Involved in healing ministries, leading small groups, evangelistic stuff, on fire for God, struggling to get a full-time job, but really on fire for Jesus. Amazing example to people, praying for people on the streets all the time. And he got a job, and we were in Aberdeen where we were at the time. And Aberdeen is the oil capital of Europe, which means if you get a job on an oil rig, you can get four times the pay, whatever you do, whether you're a cleaner or an electrician or whatever. So you can just get the same amount, four times the amount, if you just do it on an oil rig, four days on, four days off. He gets one of these jobs, exciting, God's prospered me, amazing. Within a year, he wasn't involved in church at all. And I bumped into him and said, hey, where are you going? What's been going on? He said, well, kind of, you know, I, I connect with God just me and him sometimes. And, you know, I just, I just put a worship CD on the car every now and then. That kind of does me, doesn't really read the Bible anymore. And I was like, how, how crazy is this? I mean, it, that's still gradual. To me, it looked dramatic because it was a year. But it comes just drifting along because it's kind of like you can make up a, any kind of theology to back up whatever you're currently doing when you're not shaped by this and allowing this to shape you, allowing this to tell you where you're going or where you will not go and, and living that out in a life of community. It can be so dangerous. This is a bush in the wasteland, a salt land. This guy was saying, I, I, I'm really happy now that I can give my family everything they want. I, I can give them. I've always wanted to provide for them properly and get, buy them whatever they want. And now I've got the opportunity to do that. So it's worth it. You think, gosh, it's so cool. It's crazy how quick that can happen. It, 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 it can just, the drift just kind of happens, and you're suddenly in a salt land where no one lives. It's out there completely. So we want to be those who are continually, continually called to remember our dependence on God, our dependence on his people, our dependence on his word, and, and especially our dependence on prayer. Something, this, this happens. What does it mean to be a tree rooted by the stream. It's those to know we're called to prayer. There's no amount of theology you can learn, no anointing you can have, or no ex- amount of experiences you can rack up as a Christian that somehow exempt you from being dependent on God in prayer. Isn't that amazing? You can have people with PhDs in theology, or someone who's just walked in the door, they've just got saved, they know nothing at all. They're as dependent on God in prayer as this person who knows so much more about the Bible or theology or whatever. Someone who's anointed, who's seen thousands of people healed, thousands of people come to Christ under their ministry. They're as dependent on God in prayer as any of you, or any of you, any of our children in this room who are dependent on God for everything, absolutely everything. We're dependent upon him. And it's that, that constant battle for the enemy to come and say, Maybe you can get away with this. Maybe you can get away with just not living a life of prayer, not being as dependent on God, because you know the lingo now. You know how to speak. You know, how, you know some Bible verses. You know what kind of works in certain settings. Why don't you just put, that, just put prayer to the side? Prayer doesn't matter quite so much. There's a wonderful quote I read from a, a book um, 
by Francis Chan that I got bought. One of the gifts that wasn't a horrible cough or cold from one of my family was a book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. And he's always very annoying to read because he's very challenging. And you kind of don't want him to be right, but he kind of is. Um, <laughs> it's just this wonderful quote on prayer. Prayer is not merely a task of ministry. It is a gauge that exposes our heart's condition. It unveils our pride, showing us whether or not we believe we are powerless apart from God. When we pray, it is an expression of surrender to God and reliance on his infinite wisdom and sovereignty. It's a gauge for us to know that we re- do we really believe we're dependent on God, like a tree is, with its roots by the stream, which if it didn't have that, would literally wilt and die. Do we, do we live our prayer life like that? Do we think, actually, I'm so dependent? There's that famous quote from Martin Luther. You may have heard this before. I'm so busy today, he said in his diary, that I'm going to have to commit my first three hours to prayer instead of two. <laughs> it's depressing to hear that sometimes, isn't it? I'm so busy, I need to pray more. How, how opposite is that in our Western world? We just so naturally gravitate to busyness and getting stuff done. Got to get to the inbox straight away. Got to get my to-do list straight away. No, actually, think paradoxically. Think in the way that the heavens work, totally different to the way the world works. I'm going to actually gravitate to prayer because that's where I'm going to be able to deal with the things that come up today. So how many of you had those experiences where you've You've, you've been able to deal with something better because you've spent that time in prayer in the mornings or whatever it is you do, whenever you find the time to do that. That's where the blessing comes, where you're able to deal with the hits that come for being a Christian in your workplace or for the, the difficulties that come in your ministry, whatever it is. Those difficulties which arise, you can, you can actually be rooted and deal with them so much better from when you're from that place of prayer, of dependence upon God. We can rest on our laurels sometimes and think, well, I had a time of really stepping out and trusting God back in 03 when Delirious was still kind of known. <laughs> you know, I remember this time I gave a load of money away once. It was great, and God blessed me back. It was amazing. I, you can have those sort of things. Actually, that's the hard thing. That's what Israel constantly had the temptation to do, and that's why they're ending up in this Babylonian exile situation, which Jeremiah is kind of pointing out throughout the book. We constantly, we can look back and say, well, we've done it there. We've got the, come on, we've got the Red Sea in our pocket. Amazing. We can tell stories about the Red Sea. How awesome is that? But God's so interested in you, not just talking about the things you, you stepped out in the past or the things he's done in the past, but continually, continual fruitfulness, continually growing something in you that lets you, lets you step out in faith. There, there's, no, there's no time where you suddenly get adjusted to taking a step of faith. I mean, you, you can get into a capacity for it and you can get used to it, but it doesn't kind of stop being difficult or scary because there's always a variety of situations God might want you to step out in and I want you to grow and grow in that capacity to do that. There's, there's things that you, you know, that I can remember a situation a few years ago where I was on a, a ridiculous mission trip. It was a football mission trip where you got to play football I like evangelize at the same time. It was like amazing. I don't know how that existed. But I did this. It was in Albania. And I was on a team of guys. And you're kind of hanging out every day. You're getting up really early to kind of do this prayer, pray together. And then you go and teach these kids for like four hours in the heat. Then you go and have a siesta. And then you go and play someone football in the evening. It's kind of ridiculous dream situation. Um, barely mission. <laughs> um, and we had a day off from our hard work. And we got to go to the swimming complex. 
And I'm not kidding you. So there's this massive, there was this diving board. I don't know if Albania was up with the health and safety. They weren't in the EU at the time. Are they still in the I don't know where they are now. But anyway, I'm pretty sure this diving board would, would bar access to the EU on, alone. It had like seven rungs to it, and you had to walk up so many steps, and you had an option to come out. So, so there's this kind of steps at the back, and there's this kind of supposed to be someone watching at the top. There wasn't someone watching. Um, Every time you have an option of going for an easier jump, <laughs> oh, look, I'll just take the one three stories up rather than four stories up. And you get, obviously, because you're a, a group of guys trying to egg each other on, no one is not allowed to go from the seventh rung, um, which is literally like 40 feet in the air or something stupid. And you get the one guy who did it who we nicknamed Action Man. He did everything. He's a bit like Chris Chart as a 19 year old or something, you know, could do everything. You um, up to the top, he goes and does it first time. A few others, we get the courage, we run up. And we do it first time, and it's amazing, terrifying, but we didn't think about it. Second time, then we feel like we've done it. So people say, oh, you, you've done it, why don't you go and do it again? <laughs> and you look at it, you realise what it was. You look at it, it's just terrifying. You go up again. The second time was so much harder, because you're kind of aware. You, you weren't as thoughtless, kind of jumping off. And you go to the top, I, and I sat on the edge. I, I did the worst thing you could do. I went and sat on the edge of the thing. I was like, oh my gosh, this really is high. This is not allowed. Um, and... I, I, there's a picture somewhere on Facebook of me half jumping, like holding on to the, <laughs> holding on to the driving board at the end, as if like that's going to help. Why would that help? I don't know. I know the water can. It's, I'm not going to die because I've done it. But again, it's still hard to do. I still got to take. When do you ever walk off a cliff and like that's just normal? You don't do that. So it, it feels so difficult to take a step of faith to do something God is calling you to do, to put something down, to pick something up to give something away, it's so hard. It's always going to be a challenge. It's always going to be something that you can't do in your own strength. Well, of course you can't. Because what the heck is the story of the Bible about? It's about a people of God who have been enraptured by this incredible God who provides, who wants us to partner with him, doesn't want to be a puppeteer, wants us to partner with him, wants to build our faith, but he's the one providing the power. He's the one with the stream that enables you to do incredible things, amazing things. The reason why we have heroes in the Christian faith, you look through history, you think, oh, have you ever met this person? Have you ever met Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley or someone? They're just human beings, but they, they've seemed to have gotten hold of something, of this power of God in a way. They've, they're drinking from that well. They're filled with the Spirit in a way that enables them to see amazing things happen. There's a sense that this example I've just used is jumping off something quite dramatic. There's also something about the mundane, <laughs> about the kind of times that aren't always as exciting as jumping off a diving board. I don't think that's exciting. I just think that's terrifying. But anyway. But there's the normal life as well. So I don't want you just to think stepping out in faith, trusting God is only doing these crazy moments. You know, I met one of these guys I met at this conference in the summer was talking to me about. I met this young kind of 18, 19 year old saying, I said, what are you doing this summer? Well, I'm, going, I'm here for a month. He's South African. I'm here for a month, going to Europe for six weeks. Then I'm doing a six month mission trip in Hawaii. Again, similar. I, I can't really talk. I had an easy one. Anyone feeling called to Hawaii? I see that hand. Here, here am I, Lord, send me. Yes. It's a six month trip to Hawaii. So what are you doing after Hawaii? I'm going down to Peru. What are you going to do in Peru? Well, there's this amazing mission called One Nation, One Day. <laughs> and basically, 
you send in all these people and they blitz this whole nation and just transform it in a single day. I was like, wow, do they do that often? It's like, yeah, yeah, they've done it. They did Honduras, they did like Ecuador, you know, Dominican Republic, done. I was like, wait, just, everything's fine now. Is that kind of how it is? <laughs> just, there is no crime in Honduras, apparently. So, you know, uh, but, you know, it was, it, it was just this thought that you can just, the quick, this, the immediate, the exciting, the buzz, the right now, the passionate, straight away. That's what we want to do. That's what it means to live by faith. I mean, of course God can do that. Of course God can blitz a nation in a day if he wanted. But it doesn't seem to be the pattern. It doesn't seem to be the pattern about how he works. It doesn't seem to be how he's led Israel through this time. God is a bit more frustrating than that, than to just solve your problems immediately. He'll give you a year of drought. That tree by the stream has gone through a year of drought, but doesn't fail to bear fruit. Other people around are seeing it's difficult. They can see it's difficult, but they have something else. There's a resource they're drawing on that enables them to keep going, enables them to have patience. Some of you have had things that God's put on your heart or promises you're holding that you haven't seen come to pass. Some of you might look at uh, Grant and Lindsay's amazing testimony. They've, they've, (laughs) They've seen God move. Some of you haven't seen that yet. You're holding on. You might be thinking about this passage and thinking, oh gosh, does that mean I need to be bearing all this exciting fruit? No, you're holding on to God, being faithful to him is is why you need the stream. That's why you need these roots to go even deeper because you're not seeing things come through yet, but they will. If God's promised you something, if there's something that you're holding on to, if there's something that God has given you or something you want to see coming through, God might lead you in a different direction to what you thought. But he's... He's wanting you to keep going deeper and deeper into him. I'll close with this um, illustration and then we'll pray. I don't know what time I'm supposed to finish, but um, it should be around now-ish, I presume. <laughs> I, uh, when I was, uh, again, a younger <coughs> person, I was, uh, I think, I don't know where it was during my university time, my undergrad, I can remember my granddad dying. I lived in Chester, and he was only in Liverpool, but all my family down south in Brighton. So my dad drove up, um, picked me up on the way, to say, we need to go and clear out Grandad's bedsit in Liverpool. Um, And we go in there, and as as the situation normally are, there's lots of things you're kind of wading through, clearing out. And my dad said to me, you can take your your first ever inheritance. Just find whatever you want, (laughs) kind of. This is a bit weird situation. Um, I managed to get three items, three gifts. A very questionable frying pan, but then again, as a, a male undergraduate student, what in your kitchen isn't questionable. Um, I got a tin of pear halves, which I remember sharing with Molly in the courting period, because, you know, why, who needs to go out for like a romantic meal, expensive in a restaurant when you've got a tin opener right here? There we go. And my third piece of inheritance was this plaque. A wooden plaque that says, trust in the Lord. I would pass it around, but I don't want you to catch my cough. So <laughs> it's almost childlike in how it's written. I, I knew that my granddad was um, kind of Christian-ish. I'd become a Christian later in life as a mid-teen. And so he'd, I always noticed when he'd visit, he'd go over to the Salvation Army somewhere, but hang out with the older people. You know, there was only mainly older people playing brass band music. I thought it was just a kind of old person's club. But when we went to his flat, we found a prayer diary he'd been keeping for years and years. 
and he'd been praying for all of us for our salvation before we were Christians. And me, I'll tell you my, well, one day I'll tell you my testimony, it'll take too long. My, me and my, all of my siblings and my dad became Christians in a really amazing period of our life, which was all kind of independent but then brought together. And it was crazy how it happened. And his prayers over the time, to see that was so amazing. He's, he's, he's gone now, he's with the Lord. And he's living in this tiny bedsit with this questionable frying pan and his pear halves and things like this. And he's praying. His roots are going down and down. It doesn't look at all exciting, actually, to the world. But just seeing this, I was so struck. Wherever I've gone since then, I've had this... This has got various wallpaper from wherever I've been that's kind of ripped off a bit of wallpaper. I put it on the light in the room that I'm most often in, whether it's my office or whatever, at home. And it reminds me, just that, that, that basic childlike faith of trusting in God, you never get over that. You never get beyond that. That sense of needing to be rooted by the stream. Whatever your situation, whether God's calling you to do something dramatic or whether God's calling you just to keep going, to not give up, to not be anxious in the year of drought, not allow the anxiety to come and rob your faith, not allow those things to come and creep in, which would, which would tempt you away into the wasteland where you see the kind of end where it, where it leads.